hello, it's Jacob Hill with GRC Academy. I'm here with Dr. Thomas Graham. Dr. Graham, how are you today? Oh, not too bad, Jacob. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Tell us about yourself. How did you get started and where are you today? All right. I was a small boy in, in the outskirts of North Carolina. I'm just kidding. I'm going way too far back. <laughs> All right. I am Vice President, Chief Information Security Officer for Redspin. We are the first authorized C3PAO for CMMC. Been with the company since 2018. Prior to that, I supported the DOD in a variety of roles. I oversaw a team for DHA for the majority of that career. But I've also been uh, ISO for DISA. I've ran projects for Mark or Syscom. As far as Redspin, we are an C3PAO, as I mentioned. We're also provide consulting for CMMC as well as an LTP. So that means if somebody's looking to get trained in CMMC, we do offer the training as well. And, and we pull in examples and just some updated information from what we've seen with organizations as we've went through the joint surveillance program. Wow, that's awesome. So you said you're the first C3PAO. Can you tell us about that? First of all, I, I'll put the quantifier on there. As everybody can see, I have very little here left, and that's part of the reason why. So back in 2020, our parent company is very heavily involved in the healthcare cybersecurity space. Mm -hmm. And our CEO at the time recognized the challenges that the industry was going to have while we were in COVID and didn't really know how long it was going to last. So there started being talk of this thing called CMMC. What was it? He reached out to me and said, hey, didn't you used to work for the DOD? Yes. Why? And he he said, can you look into this, see if this is something we can do? So, okay, you know, I'll take a look into it. We just, you know, our due diligence decided it was going to be something we were interested in doing. So then we started our own process. We had to identify where we fell in the CMMC landscape. And please keep in mind, this was under CMMC1 versus yeah. the V2 where we're at now. So we started going down that process. It honestly took the better part of a year to get from start to finish. DCMA reached out to us in the early part of 2021 and said, hey, are you guys available this week? Are you going to be ready? And he immediately responded yes. And then he sent me an email saying, are we going to be ready? And I was like, I don't have a choice. <laughs> so we went through it. We got assessed. It was in May of 21. At the conclusion of it, we passed with no findings, having a rating of not met. Afterwards, there was a couple of additional documents from a process standpoint. We had to get to them. But we become the first authorized C3PAO and wow. we've been in the arena ever since. Wow. That's amazing. I, I think that's a really great story. The NIST 800-171 standard is going under revision. This is revision three. Let's start out though. Can you tell folks that aren't aware what is NIST 800-171? Yes, it is something that will be in your nightmares for the rest of your life if you ever <laughs> read the documents. So NIST 800-171, basically, you know, the way I try to explain it to folks is that it's a focused version of NIST 800-53, all of mm -hmm. the, the security controls. 800-171 really does two things. One, it takes out the components that are specifically for government. So for instance, you won't see mention of PIV requirements in 800-171 like you do in 800-53. The second thing is that they condensed it down to where it covers really only the confidentiality components of 853 mm -hmm. versus the confidentiality, integrity, and availability. 
the focus of 800-171 is on controlled unclassified information or CUI. And that is a designation that was started by an executive order, honestly, way back in 2010 and, and really started to come into fruition around 2015. And then with the DFARS being released in 2016 and forcible in 2017 and has built steadily since then. NIST 800-171, we're currently operating on revision two, which is the version that folks are familiar with CMMC are probably intimately aware of. But as you mentioned, they are going to Rev3. What Rev3 honestly is, is that it's taken in a lot of the comments that folks have brought from Rev2. NIST is taking a look at them and saying, okay, do these make sense for us to bring them into the actual uh, main document? And keep in mind, 853 is on Rev5, so it's not like NIST doesn't go through these revisions. With Rev3, one of the biggest changes that organizations need to be aware of is that under Rev2, uh, in Appendix E, there was these items called NFOs. The NFOs are items that are expected to be satisfied by organizations without specification by the government, meaning you're supposed to do it without us telling you you got to do it. It evidently has created quite a bit of confusion in the industry. So yeah. this brought most of those into the first draft of Rev3. And since then, you know, we've had additional comments provided on, on that draft. And it, it looks like NIST is probably going to bring all of the NFOs into the main body if, if they keep them into the text. I know that they're still working through some of the comments and some of the stuff now, but in essence, what it's going to mean is that folks, especially around the defense industrial base currently need to keep aware of it because at some point in time, we're all going to have to go through assessment under Rev3, ourselves included, since we're C3PAF. Yeah, there's some interesting security controls in Rev3. I think a very interesting control is the independent assessment control. And I'm almost wondering if that's going to drive all the federal agencies to adopt CMMC, but we'll, we'll see. Do you have any thoughts on that? What we've heard, and, and of course, you're not going to find this wrote down anywhere. This is just through the grapevine and everything else is that a lot of other federal agencies are, are looking at CMMC. And if you go back to the reason why CUI was created in, in the first place, CUI actually come about due to the 9-11 commission basically going through and saying, why, you know, was the, the information sharing disjointed? Why didn't we know about this? And one of the main reasons was that there wasn't a common data classification across agencies so they could initiate that data sharing. Now, from that, if you're going to initiate a, a common vernacular, if you will, or a common standard for data classification, it only makes sense that the next part of the process is ensuring that the way the confidentiality of that data is handled is enforced across, you know, whatever agency it is. So mm -hmm. hence CMNC. And if you again, read through some of the tea leaves, that could be some of the reason for some of the ODPs that are in Rev3 for your awareness. We've heard DHS is looking at it. We've heard HHS is looking at it, Department of Energy, as well as several others. Mm -hmm. What that timeline is, I don't know. We've heard that they're looking at it and more than likely they're just waiting for the DOD to spend their money to get the program up and running and then they're going to come on the tail ends of it. Very interesting. Another piece of R3 is the ODPs. Can you explain what those are to folks? I did mention an acronym without defining it, didn't I? All right. So ODPs are organizationally defined parameters. And this inclusion in Rev3, which full disclosure was one of the most common and on items that NIST got back 
what essentially it does is that it provides the ability for the organizations quantifier here, the organizations for an ODP means the agency, meaning the federal agency. It doesn't mean that the individual, what it provides is for those agency organizations to specify specific parameters around the practices in 800-171 Rev 3 to satisfy maybe what their flavor of the requirement is going to be. So to give you an example, folks that are familiar with the DOD, you have DISA. DISA comes out with requirements and stuff down to the individual commands. Then the Navy says, okay, here's how we're going to implement it. Army says, here's how we're going to implement it and, and so on and so forth. Same situation here. It's essentially the same language, but with just different quantifiers probably to it. Full disclosure, nobody knows how the individual agencies are, are going to go about addressing it. We have some insight into the DOD because of Rev 2, but you know, whether or not all of the stuff in Rev 2 is going to hold once Rev 3 comes out, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, it'd definitely be interesting. When do you think 800-171-R3 will be required by DOD? Because I think the estimates from NIST is that it should be available and finalized, if I recall correctly, January, something like that. And then CMMC probably will be required in contracts late 2024. When do you think 800-171-R3 will actually be required and, and adopted by the CMMC program? This is just speculation on my part. So you, you mentioned... The rule may be coming out the first part of calendar year 2024. All right, so so the rule comes out. NIST also is trying to shoot for the, the same rough time frame with not only 800-171 Rev 3, but also the revisions to 800-171 Alpha. So it comes out. You still have to update the CMMC assessment process. You still have to update the assessment guides, and you still have to update all of the stuff along with it. Yeah. So as we've seen since government moves at the speed of lightning, honestly, I don't think organizations will probably have to start dealing with it for at least a couple of years. I, I think the same. And the reason why is because DOD even, they just released a timeline to adopt 853R5 maybe a month or two ago. And that's been out, I think, for a few years. So I just can't see them throwing it over the fence and blowing everything up. That seems to be the prevailing notion with, with everything around CMMC to this point is we'll see what happens. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of CMMC, what is that? Can you explain it? All right. So CMMC stands for the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. It was a program that was first started being talked about probably in 2017, 2018. It first started getting out with the first iteration of the Cyber AB back in 2020. For your viewers, I, I want to say this plain and clear. It is the validation model for the DFARS 7012 requirements. CMMC in and of itself does not require anything other than this type of assessment, depending upon the level of CMMC and the level is based upon the type of data that you either have access to or stored on your, your networks. What it's doing is under DFAR 7012, which as a reminder was enforceable as of December 31st, 2017, CMMC is now assessing organizations on those requirements because when DFARS first came out, it was self-attestation. However, what DCMA was finding when they were doing spot checks on organizations is not only were the scores that they were inputting into SPURS, which is the reporting mechanism, inaccurate, 
most of these organizations were actually failing pretty badly. I think one organization self-reported a perfect score and when DCMA come out, they found that they had the worst score possible. DOD said, all right, we trusted you, but now we got to verify you. So that's where the CMMC program come out. What it's going to require is if you're at level one and you can still self-attest, that's only to the 50 requirements in the FAR, which equates to 17 practices and that's 171. At level two, the majority of organizations will have to gain uh, a third-party assessment via a C3PAO. The other step in that process is now for organizations that would have level three, which the specific qualifiers for level three, the DOD has not formally released yet. For those organizations that'll have to go through level three, they'll first have to go through and pass a level two via C3PAO and then go through and pass a level three assessment by DCMA DIPCAC, which the requirements for level three is suspected to be a subset of the NIST 800-172 requirements. That's what CMMC is. Please understand, first and foremost, it's a validation of the requirements, not the actual requirements organizations have to implement. And it's interesting because being that NIST 800-171 or the bulk of the requirements, not many people know about that. But CMMC is kind of mm -hmm. the household name that everyone knows. What are some common misconceptions that businesses have about CMMC? One of the biggest misconceptions is they presume, okay, I'm FedRAMP, okay, I've, I've got an ATO, I don't have to deal with it. And, the, and that's just not the case. One of the other misconceptions, and, and this was early on when there were tons of rumors. And, and when I say early on, I'm speaking even as much as the change from CMMC V1 to V2 mm -hmm. was that documentation was just not part of the equation. The reason being is under the original model, there were the requirements which spoke to policies, procedures, and plans. Unfortunately, the misconceptions that those were the maturity requirements were those documents. If you actually go in and you look at the NIST 800-171 alpha assessment process, which for those that are unaware, the difference in between the two documents, the 800-171 Rev 2, those are the requirements. That's what you have to provide evidence for. 800-171 Alpha is the guidance that the assessors follow under the CMMC assessment guides. So that's the difference. Mm -hmm. If you go and look at 800-171 Alpha, it actually speaks to policies, procedures, plans, standard operating type documents or, or other types of documentation. And it falls under the examine methodology that's in not only 800-171 Alpha, but also under the level two assessment guide. If you go and look at the assessment guide for each practice, it actually lists out the three methods assessors can use, which is examine, interview, and test. And if you look, it speaks to those policies, those plans. You'll see objectives where it states, does the organization define this? Does it identify it? Does it specify it? Some even go as far as actually saying documented or, or policy. So those are out there. The third thing that I, I will say a lot of organizations not necessarily are struggling with, but don't really properly understand the implementation is, is around the encryption. If you are using encryption to protect the confidentiality of CUI, then it has to be FIPS 140 TAC2 validated. Yes, I understand that the assessment guide says if it's properly secured behind your boundary, it's not being transmitted out, so on and so forth. It may not need to be FIPS. I absolutely understand that. And that's why I said, if you are using this, I haven't seen any organizations to date that 
have tried to go through certification without having FIPS validated encryption in place. But what I have seen organizations do is not understand how to properly ensure it is implemented within their, their environment. They buy a tool, they buy a solution, presume it's there and just don't do their own due diligence with configuring it correctly. Yeah. FIPS is definitely a tricky one. And I think that's one that uh, vendors can explain away, but you got to dig a little bit to figure out what's actually the ground truth. So very good points. What do you think are some of those challenges that the OSCs, the people who are seeking CMMC certifications need to be aware of? I honestly think the biggest challenge is still the wait and see notion that organizations are having. I've talked with a lot of organizations, small, medium-sized business, all the way up to large multinational corporations. And they have this wait and see of, well, let's wait and see exactly when this rule is going to come into effect. Guess what? It has made its way to OIRA and it is in the review process. So it is coming. You know, it's not just speculation at this point in time. The other part of the misconceptions or, you know, some of the issues is simply not understanding what the requirements are and, you know, Mm -hmm. what the organization is going to be held accountable to. This goes back to what I was saying early where they're like, CMMC, you know, all these new requirements, how can they enforce this on this type of business, you know, the business model, so on and so forth. Not the requirement. The requirements were put in place at the end of 2017. This is just that validation component. This is just my opinion. I'm, I'm not a lawyer and I did not stay at a Holiday Inn last night. What organizations are doing if they try to go that route is they're actually opening themselves up potentially litigation under the False Claims Act because the Department of Justice has started going after organizations for CUI over the last couple of years specifically where these organizations have said, yes, we're doing this. And then something's happened and then they come in and say, well, you said you were this way, but in fact, you didn't have any of this stuff in place. As we were talking about before, it's pretty interesting because there's some other countries that are jumping on board with CMMC even before our other federal agencies. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So there are definitely other countries that are looking at CMMC model, whether it be from implementing themselves with having potentially reciprocity with the U.S.'s version of CMMC. Probably the biggest one in the news is Canada. And and the reason being is back on May 31st, they actually come out with a statement saying, yep, we're doing it. It's going to be in lockstep with the U.S. Department of Defense. And the Canadian government actually ponied up $25 million to implement the program, which is, you know, something DOD has offered to this point. If so, I'm still waiting on my check. But that was interesting because for all the naysayers over the last few years, all oh, this is never going to happen. It, it's going to be too intrusive. They're never going to be able to get it off the ground. Other countries are starting to not only say we want this, but we're going to put money. Other countries I've heard about, uh, United Kingdom, Germany, France, Japan, Korea, Israel, Australia. There's a lot of countries that are part of the alliances with the U.S. are starting to realize, hey, we need to pay attention to this because, you know, a lot of the conversations around the amount of organizations and and the amount of companies that are going to have to go through this, at least in my perspective, they centered around companies that are U.S. based. However, the U.S. has bases all across the world. And they have local companies that support those foreign locations. Are they also going to have to go through CMMC? 
probably, if they have a contract with the DOD. Mm-hmm. And if so, what are going to be the requirements on those organizations? Yeah, so yeah. I, I think probably within the next year, we're going to be hearing a lot more about some of these countries and where they're going to be focusing on. The only one I think that's official on record so far is Canada, but the others are coming. That's pretty fascinating. And let me ask you a question, because when you were talking about all of the military bases that we have throughout the world, no doubt there's some suppliers that are foreign suppliers that support the bases and everything. Do you know if United States-based C-3PAOs will be assessing them, or will they need to stand up C-3PAOs in those countries to do that work? I think it's ultimately going to depend on the country and and the way Mm -hmm. that they stand up their own program. I believe the way Canada is setting it up, what they want is the ability for USC 3PAOs to be able to conduct the assessments in in Canada as well as Canadian versions of C 3PAOs to be able to do the same for, for US businesses as well as see the reciprocity between the two. For that reciprocity Mm -hmm. to really work, the assessment should be the same regardless if I'm doing it or my cousin across the border is doing it. The the requirements should be the same. Is that going to be formally in place? We don't have the formal rule out yet. So until the formal rules out, I'm sure that they're not going to make formal agreements with other nation states. Mm -hmm. But for the long-term vision of the program, for where this thing is probably going to be going, I wouldn't be surprised if many countries adopt that similar stance. Let's face it, in in the beginning, who's going to be the ones training these folks on what the requirements are, what the practices are, and the assessment methodology? It's going to be probably U.S.-based folks. Yeah, that's that's pretty fascinating. Let's say that I'm a organization seeking certification and I'm going to hire a CMMC consultant. What would be your advice to me in making sure that I hire the right one for my company? First of all, you know, definitely don't just talk to one. Talk to Seth. And the reason being is because whoever's going to be helping you through this process, you need to ensure you have a good relationship with them. They're going to be the ones coming in and helping your organization and guiding you towards getting the right elements in place. There is the marketplace for RPOs on the Cyber AVs website, just like there is for C3PAS. So definitely, you know, start there. Now, when you have those conversations, ask them some of the questions. Explain to them what your environment is and where you want it to be. Because that's also a very big question. Where organizations are currently, we've seen a lot of them, at least as part of this program, start moving to the cloud. And, And if you or working with an RPO that doesn't understand cloud and doesn't understand what the requirements are for those types of implementations under DFAR 7012, let alone CMNC, then it's going to be a very, very rough relationship. The other part that I'll say when you're trying to select the proper RPO, ask them what the credentials are. How many of these things have you done? Have you had any you know, of your other customers that have gone through assessment or gone through joint surveillance? What has been your experience with those? And, and the reason why I bring up joint surveillance is because it's been around now for a little while. So there has been organizations that have went through it. The very first organization that passed the joint surveillance program, Aragon International, they utilized an, an RPO to help get that uh, to where they needed to be. There, there's very good RPOs out there. There's also RPOs that just provide bad advice. I've actually seen one RPO that counseled their OSC specifically that documentation wasn't required under CMMCP2. That caused the organization to actually not be able to move forward with a joint surveillance program. 
Yeah, it, it was actually in one of the kickoff calls. And they said, okay, do you have everything documented? Well, no, our intention is to do this, blah, blah, blah. So you don't have it in place. Okay, what is your current implementation? Well, we currently have these things in place, but our intention is to do X, Y, and Z. The assessment is on what your intentions are. The assessment is on what do you have in place? Like I said, that OSC actually got dropped from the joint surveillance program. And I don't think they've been rescheduled to this point. Wow. Wow. That's great advice. Appreciate that. Now, along the same lines, if I'm looking for an assessment, I believe I'm ready. What would be your advice if I'm looking for an assessor? Honestly, Jacob, it's going to be much the same thing. Reach out to several. I mean, it's like I said, Red Spins one. We have folks that we work with that we vetted. Other organizations have those that are out there that they vetted. At the end of the day, this is the organization that's going to be assessing you. Ask them questions. Have you done joint surveillance, for instance? If so, you know, how many of these have you been through? Some other questions you can ask for the C-3PO is, are you familiar with this environment? Because I want to say the majority of the C-3PO's out there probably have experience with Windows. But if you're doing an implementation using, let's say, Amazon Web Services or Google GovCloud or stuff like that, there may not be as many C-3PO's that understand that environment. The other thing that I'll say when you're talking about selecting the C-3PO's is when you're talking with them, don't try to sugarcoat stuff for the C-3PO. Yeah. Tell them brass tacks. Here's what we are and we need the assessment conducted and give them a time frame. The reason why I say the time frame is because, yes, formal CMMC assessments are being conducted now. But when that rule hits, it's going to be a logjam. Even as of last Friday, there's less than 50 C-3PO's out there. Each of the C-3PO's has to have assessors. And I think the last time I saw the kill, there was less than 150 assessors in, you know, potentially in the marketplace at this point. Go talk to them, go reach out, figure out which organization you want to be your assessor and get your place in line. Can you talk about how the actual process works as it's written in the CMMC assessment process? Because in the ISO world, you have a stage one audit that's more high level, and then you have an opportunity to resolve any findings that are found during that stage one. And then stage two is more involved, more evidence, but you still have an opportunity to resolve any deficiencies. How does it work as it's written in the CMMC world? The final version of the cap isn't out yet, just like the final version of the rule isn't out yet. So what I can speak to is the version of the draft cap. In a nutshell, after you contact the C3PAO, the CMMC assessment process technically has four phases. Phase one is where you work with the lead assessor and you agree upon the scoping and you do all the contractual items and you go through your readiness review, which is where the OSC provides the objective evidence package to the new C3PAO. And then the C3PAO via the lead assessor and, and the lead assessor's team reviews that documentation, reviews those screenshots that maybe you've provided and goes through each of the practices to see what's there. Now, after you've gotten out of this readiness review, please keep in mind the readiness review isn't to identify shortcomings so the OSC can correct them. And what the readiness review essentially does is it goes through and it makes sure you have enough elements in place to actually undergo the assessment. So for instance, SSP, is it there? Yes. Okay, good. The other thing that gets determined during phase one is if any on-site visits are required. As a rule of thumb, generally what the notion is, 
for on-site visits is if the organization stores, processes, or transmits CUI via on-prem infrastructure, or let's say they have physical CUI such as paper or, or anything else in their physical facility, then the on-site will be required. And currently under the draft version of the cap, there's no hard and fast requirements on the number of locations. To this point, what I, I have seen talked about is that it depends upon the governance of your organization and how it's, it's structured. So all of that gets determined in phase one. Now you get to phase two, which is the assessment. That's the interview phase. The interview phase generally lasts probably three to five days and it goes through and the assessors essentially take you through each of the 110 practices for NIST 800-171. With that, what they're looking for is per the level two CMMC assessment guide, whether or not you're providing enough evidence for each objective under the practice to meet two criteria. And those two criteria are adequacy and sufficiency. Adequacy, of course, speaks to the accuracy of the evidence. For instance, if you're talking about practice 3.1.1 authorized users and you provide me a, a screenshot of your firewall rules, that evidence probably isn't appropriate. So you, you want to make sure the evidence is accurate to the objective being assessed. The second part for sufficiency now means is the evidence sufficient to cover the entire scope of the assessment. And another good example, just talking about authorized users. If you only have, let's say Windows AD or Azure in your scope, okay, it's going to be fairly easy probably. But let's say you have Linux, let's say you have printers. Let's say you have mobile devices that yeah. now are governed by, you know, either Azure AD or on-prem AD server. Now you have to provide evidence for each of those elements. And if you haven't looked at the level two assessment guide, I definitely recommend going out and looking at it because some practices mainly have one or two objectives underneath it. There's, I know at least one that has objectives A through O and the organization has to provide evidence for all of those. That's generally, you know, phase two, like I said, is also when the on-site portion comes in. Under the draft cap, the CMMC assessment process, there is a minimum list of practices that if you do have either that on-prem infrastructure or on-prem CUI, that assessors have to physically view. And that should be provided, you know, upfront as part of the assessment. So there's no surprises to the OSC. There may be other things that come up during the assessment, but at the end of every day, generally there's what's considered something like a hot wash to where you review the, the stuff that you went over for the day and identify to the OSC things that you're tracking. Maybe you need more evidence for things that are not met or things that you'll have to review from a physical on-site perspective. Once phase two is complete, now you go into phase three. Phase three is the reporting portion. Phase three uh, officially starts after that final outbrief, which has to be given by the lead assessor. And, you know, roughly for the most part, the reporting should only take one to two weeks. Mm -hmm. Just depends on everything that's included in the scope of the assessment. But what occurs at the conclusion of that is when you get the formal report, which will identify if one, you've met all 110 practices, or if you have some that is not met. And, and if you have some that is not met, it's not the end of the work. There's allowances in the current version of CAP that an organization can put certain items into a POEM, a plan of actions and milestones. Yes, there, there are requirements around it, but 
what it allots is essentially the organization 180 days from the presentation of that final report to be able to address and receive a MET rating. In the interim, if you can get into the POEM phase, which just as a side note, it's not any and everything that can get in there, but it's also not if you miss 50% of the stuff in your assessment, are you going to get into a POEM? You have to meet 80% for the POEM phase to even come into play. And when I say 80%, that's receiving a MET rating on 80% of the CMMC practices. So 88 out of 110 for you math geeks out there. All right. So if you qualify for a POEM, now you go into phase four which is that POEM phase. Under phase four, the organization seeking certification works to adjudicate those items to get the necessary evidence in place to put the necessary stuff in place. Most C3PAOs, when you're signing up for four assessment or making allowances for this phase four, however, under the assessment process, the OSC does have the ability to request a different C3PAO to conduct that phase four closeout. Personally, if it was me, I probably wouldn't do it. I would rather have somebody that at least was somewhat familiar with my environment, but there are those allowances in the assessment process. Now, when you mentioned the POAM piece, I remember something about how there are certain controls that DOD has given five pointers, two, three, one. What controls can actually go on the POAM? As we understand it at the moment, the only things that cannot go into the POAM are those items that have a point value of five or the SSP. You have to have it. Do not pass go. Do not collect your certification if you don't have it. As far as the individual practices other than the SSP, if a practice has a point value of five, then as it stands right now, it can't go on the POAM. And as a reminder, each practice has those objectives underneath it. And if an organization receives a not met for just one of the objectives under the practice, they actually receive not met for the entire practice. So that's the significance of those. And just so folks know, there are a little over 40 controls that are valued at five points. So it is a substantial list. Yeah, very, very interesting. Okay, that was, that was really interesting. Where can people find you? You know, you can find me on the Redspin website. If you reach out to info at redspin.com, just pose the question, say you want to, to have a chat with me. You can definitely get a hold of me there. I'm also out on LinkedIn. You can find me, Thomas Graham Redspin. I, I believe I'm the only one that comes up. But other than that, I, I'm not that hard to get in touch with if you have questions. And you can probably tell by my accent, I'm Southern. So that means I do love talking to people. Talking doesn't cost anything. So if you have questions, please reach out. That is one of the best ways to get questions answered and to understand what you've got to do with this whole process. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for coming on, Thomas. It was really a great conversation. Appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, Jacob. Anytime. Have a good one. You too.